can be seated. So glad you're here, so thankful you're here this morning. This is a message that takes a lot out of you, but I'm going to give all I have. I love having the honor to minister God's word to this church, to love the people of this house. And uh, if you haven't caught on, sometimes I like to preach not just a little three-week series, but we march on into about eight-week series sometimes. So next week, we are going to be landing the plane. Don't worry, this is not the series that never ends. Um, But this week, I'm excited because this is really a message that uh, really where we look of where Jesus asks of it all of us, that he wants our surrender. And what I titled the message this morning is how to live a surrendered life. What does that look like? What is, how do we walk into that? And really, as I was just praying during worship, and our first point here is, is simply this, is a crossless gospel is a Christless gospel. As I was just thinking about that point, I began to think that if we don't have a a cross-focused life, understanding that it's at the cross, our initial salvation was paid for us, but it's at the cross as us as believers and what Paul champions and what Paul boasts in this very thing is the place of where we're healed. It's the place of where power is given into our lives. It's the place of where we become the best version of ourselves that we're transformed into the image and the likeness of God. And so understanding of how to live a surrendered life, it the essence of it is how to live a cross-centered life, how to live a Christ-centered life because when your heart and your position is that very thing, you will find yourself surrendering to his plan, surrendering to his purposes. And so this week, in order for us to have the power we read of in the New Testament, in order for us to be as Jesus was, we have to understand that it happens at the cross the exchange happens at the cross. You know, when I think of Christ, and if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you see really the price that he paid, what he poured out, how he gave everything he had. And I was just researching the the part of where it's revealed in the Gospels and it's portrayed so beautifully in the movie of where after Jesus took his last breath and he was pierced right underneath his heart, And what you see take place is not blood coming out, but it's the fluid that was around the heart, that water that was around the heart. And if you look medically of what that water does for our hearts, it's really the heart's last line of defense to protect the heart. And so when Jesus was pierced and the fluid, the water around his heart was poured out, it was literally him symbolizing and showing us that he gave everything for us, that there was nothing left he could give. He gave his life and he gave the very last defense that surrounded his heart. And so when you think of the gospel and you just reflect on the cross this morning and you reflect on who Jesus was, you need to picture him because when we look at the gospels and a lot of the times we don't hear these scriptures preached in church anymore, we don't hear the cross preached anymore, is that it demands something of us. It asks and it challenges something of us that it just doesn't say, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, and this is really my bend, is mediocre Christianity didn't draw me into a relationship with Jesus. A watered down gospel didn't capture my heart and say, I wanna give everything I am 
to follow Jesus. But when you hear the gospel in its fullness and you hear the universal gospel that was believed and taught by the early church and now is presented into our lives, when you hear the gospel in its fullness, it causes you to begin to lay things down. It causes transformation in your life. It causes the, the essence and the core and the DNA and the personality of who you are to begin to be transformed into the likeness and into the image of Christ. And so this morning, as you study and as you read the Gospels and as we're in the series, understand that Jesus has the authority to ask everything of you. Because as he was stretched down on the cross, as he was pierced and the fluid from his heart was released, there is no one in the face of the earth in all of time who gave more for you to have relationship with you, to know you than what Jesus did. So when he asked for your life, he can say that with authority because he gave everything. And now it's up to us to respond. And that response, like I said, initially happens at the cross, but we read in the gospels that we're to pick our cross up when? Every Sunday, every evening, no, every day that we pick up our cross daily. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not an easy thing. Jesus never said it would be easy, but it's the very thing that brings the power of God into our lives. Look what scripture says, and this really just says it. Paul says it so bluntly. 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 18 says this. It says that the gospel, that the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But hear this right here, because as believers, as those that follow Jesus, as we go deeper into the things of God, we begin to see that a cross-centered life is what is saving us and it is what is releases the power of God in your life the power to be transformed, the power to have anointing in your life. Because you need to hear this as well, and this has been revelation to me as I've walked this in my journey and in my path, is salvation is free, but anointing will cost you everything. Being marked by God will cost you everything. Being used by God, seeing his, his, who he is come alive in you, there is a cost associated to it. Salvation's free, it is the free gift of God but as you begin to dive in and experience the fullness of who he is and experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it, you begin to find that there is this drawing to begin to lay things down, laying the works of the flesh down and beginning to walk in the spirit. Who's an example of this in the word of God? Think about Peter. We know uh, Peter when Jesus said, who do men say that I am, and Peter had this revelation that he is the son of God. And in that moment, Jesus really commissioned him and said, on this rock, I'm gonna build the church on Peter. Well, several chapters later, we read in just a short amount of time, and this shows us how easily we can drift in our faith, is Peter is saying, is, is really kind of uh, challenging Jesus and what he wanted to do. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter was not operating in the spirit as he was when Jesus said, I'm gonna build the church. He was drifted and then he operated in the flesh and that's where Jesus rebuked him because of it. See, there's times in our lives when we feel we're being motivated by the spirit, right? Like you know you're in that rhythm, you're in that zone. But then there's times where we can be motivated by the flesh. See, the gospels and Jesus and the apostles and in the epistles never tell us we're gonna be free of temptation. It never tells us that we're gonna be completely free of the flesh. That's why in this journey and in this walk, we have to learn to subdue it 
to master it and allow the Spirit of God to lead us in all situations. And I'm telling you, that only happens through every day being a person, being a people of the cross and allowing the transformative power of the cross take place in our life. It can be said like this as well. We love seeing that we are children of God, that we are sons and daughters of God, and that is completely correct and that is completely true, and that defines us. But we have to see the other side of the coin as well because the scripture and the gospel is revealed that we are also servants of God, that we're to be a tool in the master's hand for him to use and to do as he wills. We love to say he's our father, and yes, he is. But we see in scripture that he's also our king, he's our master, and he's our Lord. Hear this as well. Before God calls you, and before he can use you, he usually has to break you. Before he raises you up, he will crucify you. And before you can experience the riches of heaven, he must strip you of the flesh. I'm telling you, when you decide and when you sign up to follow Jesus, you may have been tricked into free pizza in a youth group at some point in your life, but you have to graduate into this place of understanding that now my life rests underneath the cross and whatever the cross says and however the cross commissions me to live is how I'm to live my life. And I'm telling you this morning, this isn't a message that will fill up churches. This isn't a message that will get a lot of amens because it is deep. And it, we begin, as I did, as I was studying this, as I like to say, I'm inviting you into my conviction through this message as I'm studying, is that you begin to see is when you think you've given it all and when you think there's things in your life that you're not petting and not tolerating, the grace of God has a way to go in and say, I want more. And what have we said in this series when we look to God and say, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Many times his response is, as he looks back to us, is he says, I'm willing, I'm available, and my flow is ready, but I need more of you. Like that's the work of our salvation is, is giving ourselves over to the work of the Holy Spirit more and more. We've established in this series as well is, is what the great Catherine Kuhlman said. She said, God's not looking for golden vessels, silver vessels. He is looking for a yielded vessel. So when you live a cross-centered life, you're saying, I am yielding myself to the work of Jesus. I am yielding myself to the cross. I'm yielding myself not to be motivated by the flesh, but motivated by the Spirit. Romans 6, 6 says this. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So this should be a knowledge and revelation we have. And here's the reason why. It's so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So here's the thing I think we can forget. As much as there's power in the Holy Spirit and power in, in God, sin has power over our lives too if we choose to walk in it and, and allow it to have its work in our lives. And it says this, it says, we're no longer slaves to sin. So to live in the reality that you, are, you and I are no longer a slave to sin, it takes living a cross-centered life. It's easy to see where the works of the flesh wanna come up in our life, when anger wants to come, when bitterness wants to come, when we wanna stay, when we don't wanna forgive, that those are the works of the flesh. But when we understand and we're making the cross the center point of our life, and that's the place in the exchange where nothing within you wants to forgive, but then when you put yourself under the shadow of the cross, there's something powerful as you exchange that unforgiveness, you exchange that bitterness, that the grace and the forgiving, healing power of God can begin 
to wash over you. Galatians 6.14 says this. It says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of the cross, hear this, my interests in the world have been crucified. So it's saying that in the spirit, in the spirit world, that as you're being putting yourself underneath the cross, your interests in the world begin to die. The, the works of the flesh begin to die. And it says, and these world interests will die as well. You know, when I think about Jesus, who was sitting at the right hand of God, chose to leave his throne, become human, become one of us, because that's how much he wanted relationship with you. That's how much he wanted you to have power in your life, to not succumb to sin. That's how much he wanted eternity with you. And that's what we celebrate each and every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the, the, the battles that you won last week where the works of the flesh and the temptation wanted to keep you down, but you chose to say no and you chose to walk in the spirit. Well, guess what? You celebrate this Sunday the resurrection of that. Because here's the truth as well that we have to understand is resurrection is reserved for the dead. So if resurrection is served for the dead, we have to allow ourselves in essence to die to ourselves. This is the paradox of Christianity that if you wanna find life, you have to die. And when you die, you find life. So when you die, you can experience this resurrection power of God when you die to the things of the flesh. I love this as well. The gospel is not all about self-help, but it's more about self-abandonment. That living a surrendered life, finding the power of God, it's not just trying to make my situation better all the time, it's abandoning myself. It's getting underneath the cross and saying, I surrender completely. I'm not necessarily gonna ask why in this situation, but I'm gonna ask what are you requiring me? What are you doing? And let me be in the perfect will of God. I want you to see this picture this morning. If you're into art, uh, you might love this, but this is a portrayal. It was painted by an Italian artist known as, known as Carva Carvagatti. And this painting is the de description of the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. I wanna just walk you through a couple things that I found interesting as I came across this. If you can't see it, you can Google it on your phone, the calling of St. Matthew, and it'll pop up. But what I find interesting here is first locating where Matthew is. Matthew is the man who's pointing at himself. But if you look closely, in his other hand, it's, actually, it's hanging on to money. And if you know the story of Matthew, he wasn't just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was corrupt. He wasn't following God. He wasn't following Jesus. So we see on one angle here that he's looking at himself and he's looking at Jesus that, okay, Jesus just walked into this den of tax collectors and you want to call me? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And you want to you call me? But on the other hand, he's not too quick to get up as you see his hand is still on the coins. Now you can't see it here, but if you examine the painting a little closer, you would notice that the feet of Jesus who sits toward the back, as he's pointing to him, his feet are turned toward the door. And what this represents is that when you see Jesus call men and women in the scripture, he says, follow me. 
He said he calls us, but then he is already on mission. He's already moving. And that's where it's up to us to respond to the decision, to leave everything behind. You never really see Jesus where he says, yeah, go home, talk to your family, grab a couple things, get back to me in a couple weeks, right? He calls us passionately and he calls us right where we're at. But I think that gives Jesus this advantage and this power because they see that where a Pharisee would never step in, where someone who was in the temple would never step in, the Son of God steps into this den of tax collectors and says, I call you Matthew. Another few interesting points we see here is the man standing next to Jesus is Peter. And Peter has his hand out as well. And what this represents is Peter represents the church where we just talked about that Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. So it's as though the church is the agent, is the transforming agent that represents Christ here on the earth. We also see other tax collectors who don't even realize the Son of God walked in the room. Their heads down, they're consumed with their wealth, they're consumed with their gold, and not ever wanting to leave that lifestyle. And this, what I want you to see through this, as even the, in the painting, a, a seat at the table was left open of when you look directly on as though it's the ambiguity of it, it's inviting us to almost sit and be a part of it. Because this picture represents our call, that when Jesus comes and he points at us, he says, Christian, follow me. Kristen, follow me. Debbie, follow me. And what's amazing even about how um, Jesus's hand is set is it's representative of Michelangelo's great painting on the Sistine's Chapel and how his hand is, Jesus's hand is the hand representing that of Adam, where Christ's hand, if you look at the picture of, of the Sistine's Chapel, it's stretched out, reaching into a lifeless man because that's what the gospel does ultimately. It gives life, it gives purpose, it gives calling. It transforms everything about you. And if you go and you read the gospel account, it actually says that Matthew didn't complain, he didn't ask questions, he got up and he left and he followed Jesus. I'm telling you, when you get, live a cross-centered life, you picture the hand of Jesus always calling you, always drawing you, saying, I have more for you. See, what we need to understand is when we allow ourselves to be at the cross, when we drop our pride, when we drop our ego, when we drop our self-interest, what we pick up is always better than what you leave because God has much better than what you and I could ever imagine for our lives. We might not see it, we might not know the details, that's where faith comes in, and we trust the plan of God. We need, we, it doesn't take someone intelligent, it doesn't take someone to really look at our world and see that the church is in a crisis, the world is in a crisis, that we see this lukewarm Christianity, this watered down gospel that doesn't, portray the cross in its entirety and in its fullness. Because here's the thing I know, is because of this encounter that I've personally had with Jesus, I've had with the cross, if it didn't beckon me to give everything, then I would be okay with some things. I would be okay with things in my life that, you know what, just as we read in the scripture, it says it's foolishness to those that are perishing so a way to see if a part of your life is perishing of when the cross is confronted and shines upon your sin or shines upon the flesh and you begin to say, I don't really need to get rid of that. No one really knows about it. Then that's a sign where you think the cross is foolish in a part of your life that that's probably causing you to perish. 
But it says when you see the, the gospel and the cross and in its fullness, it is the power of God that wants to break in your life and set you free from the skeletons in your closet, set you free from your past, set you free from shame, set you free from the temptation that's looming around the corner. I'm telling you, there's power that's available to us this morning. You know, when you think of the work that Jesus has for us as he's calling, is what he's beckoning and, and drawing us into is he ultimately wants his world back. He wants the, the place of where Adam uh, walked in the cool of day with God. He wants that relationship back. And he uses us as the church to win the world back, to uh, recreate it back into his perfect design. That's why the church should be a picture of heaven, should be a picture of Eden, that ultimately in the church, we are the church, that we should represent a peace that the world doesn't know. We should represent a joy that the world doesn't know. But I'm telling you, the exchange of the kingdom of heaven only comes through the cross. The spirit of God is released in your life through the cross. Don't despise the cross. Don't see it as foolishness. The great Augustine said this, he said, my soul is restless until it rests in you. That if we know innate in every human being, there's this longing for God, whether they know it or not. That's why that longing is usually numbed by alcohol or a drug or entertainment, you name it, that there's this longing within us and if until we allow the gospel, the cross to get in us, that longing is never filled. And see, just like Peter, he drifted out of the spirit and into the flesh. Us as believers, we have the capability to drift as well. That's why we have to keep our lives under the cross. In Matthew 27, you see where Jesus was tempted to come down from the cross. They said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and set the world straight. We know that Jesus could have come down from the cross and literally done whatever he wanted to do and show himself, show his power. But he knew ultimately for what his purpose was, as your and I purpose is in this life, is we have to stay on the cross. We have to stay under the cross. We have to stay and allow the cross to be the center and the core of our life. I'm telling you, this is where the power comes. This is where the anointing comes. And see, we sometimes... In New Age spirituality, there's this, there's this push that you don't have to have the holiness. You don't have to have the righteousness. The decisions you make don't really matter. You can just ha be spiritual, right? Like you can just be spiritual. But that's a gospel. That's a spirituality that is absent of the cross. And so this morning, again, the paradox is that if you want life, how do you get it? You have to die. And if you want freedom, there has to be a surrender and a full abandonment in our lives. See, we see the Lord's whole existence is one of radical self-giving. Back to the Father. Christ on the cross is forever how he has lived. And when we see Christ on the cross, he's not unhappy. He's not, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Why did I say yes to this? He is very well aware of what he's doing and what he is accomplishing. And because of that, you and I can have relationship with God and, and can spend eternity with him. I want to put this picture up too as well. And if you remember in 2015, these were men known as people of the cross that they were labeled by radical ISIS terrorists. And if you remember this, 
these men, these 22 men, gave their lives because of their faith. What you see pictured here is a knife to their neck. And ISIS released this video, and it was a message to the West, and specifically of trying to induce fear, trying to induce we're coming for you, and try to, you know, really cause fear. But we know as believers, when we see things like this, it doesn't really cause fear. It causes us to rise up. And, and as Tortillian said, and as a church father, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That they think when they try to kill us and shut us up, it does the exact opposite. And it causes us to grow. It causes us to expand. It causes us to multiply. As journalists and investigators begin to study the lives of these men, as now four years have passed since their lives have been taken, 21 of these men, or 20 of these men, were Coptic Egyptian Orthodox Christians. But you'll see on the far, my far right on the screen, is a man from Ghana, Africa. And he was put in this bunch of 20 Christians. He was a Muslim, but he had committed, um, he, uh, he had stolen something, so they threw him, kidnapped him, and put them in with this bunch of Christians. And he was actually the last one, if you go and you read it, he was the last one to be asked, are you a follower of Jesus? That's what these men were asked. They said, if, do you follow Jesus? And if they said yes, their heads were cut. And so one by one, these men were martyred and murdered for their faith. Other stories will tell of these other men that as they were standing, kneeled down on the beach, that they could hear reciting scripture. They could be heard reciting the prayers in their churches. And as it got down to the last man, who his name was actually Matthew, believe it or not, it was asked of him, are you a follower of Christ? And up to this point, he was not. He could have simply said no and walked out of there. But as he looked it around and not trying to be graphic, but the blood spilled on the beach and trying, I'm sure, to grasp what just took place, these words came out of his mouth. He said, their God is my God. I want to go wherever they go. And right then, his life was ended. This was the story that came out from this man. I'm telling you, because of these men, their extreme witness, their radical faith, he took notice. He didn't see something watered down. He didn't see something that was just uh, happy clappy, right? He saw men that were willing to give their very lives for the gospel. And because of it, his life was rescued, his life was saved. And here's the, here's the thing about when you see a picture like this, is this wasn't something that was decades ago, this is something that we see happening regularly in the Middle East, that you and I have never experienced this kind of persecution, we're blessed to live in the country we do, where we're not worried when we come to church that we may be kidnapped and thrown on a beach with a knife to our head. This is what happened to these men. And I pray that their witness would fire us up, would encourage us to be people of the cross no matter what, that we would live lives full in full abandonment. In closing, I wanna leave you with a couple things. Second Timothy 3.12, and I'm telling you, our flesh doesn't wanna hear this, but this is a mark of someone who's a person of the cross. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life, and here's like, we love saying his promises are yes and amen. Well, this is like a promises of God. It says, you're gonna suffer persecution. It's not promising us this easy path, but it's saying if you stand for the cross, you are going to suffer persecution. 
Many of you may have seen this in your job where it wasn't easy to stand for your convictions, but you did. And maybe you were isolated. Maybe uh, through uh, manipulation, you were fired from your job because they knew you were one of those Christians. I'm telling you, more and more in the world today, we see persecution coming in to the church, to believers. But here's the thing when persecution begins to happen, as I shared, we begin to wake up. We begin to step up. We begin to rise up to the call. I'm telling you, being a person of the cross is not easy, but it is worth it. Because when you're a person of the cross at the end of your journey and the end of your life, you are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will have such a witness to those around you that says, man, they take their faith serious. I love this as well as a high school kid. Uh, this was a scripture I referred to time and time again in my life. Look what First Peter 4, 4 through 5 says, and I'm going to read in the Living Bible translation. It says it a little different, but it'll be behind it. It says, of course, your former friends will be very surprised when you don't eagerly join them anymore in the wicked things they do. It says, and they will laugh at you in contempt and scorn. But here's where it says, just remember that they too must face the judge of all, the living and the dead. It says, they will be punished for the way they have lived. When you hear something deep like that, we again have to be reminded that as believers, we're called to love, we're called to live a life of light, and understanding that though none go with you, you still gotta choose to follow, to be a person of the cross even if you find yourself and what you do is you really leave the crowd, you leave the majority, and you become a minority when you really stand for the cross. The thing is as well is when you're standing for the cross, you gotta understand you're pleasing God even though you might not be pleasing everybody else. You have this confidence that you are pleasing God with your life. I'm gonna leave you with these three points and it comes from a book I'm praying through, reading through, and it's called A Life of Full Abandonment. And he says there has to be these three things that take place in your life to live this surrendered life, to live this cross-centered life. Number one is this, it says, accepting and assenting to God's will as it manifests itself in all circumstances of life. Number two, the second is actively doing God's will at every moment of one's life, that's challenging. Number three, it says, one has to become a tool in God's hands. I love what it says too, it says, at this stage, it is no longer I who do God's will, but it's God who accomplishes his will through me. That's what begins to take place. You begin to see, I am this conduit for the power of God, for the I am marked with anointing because I'm living this cross-centered life. I'm telling you, the world needs to see an anointed church. The world needs to see a church moving and operating in the power of God. This is what happens when the gospel is unleashed. Don't ever underestimate when you choose to relentlessly guard what goes in your eyes, what goes in your ears, what comes out of your mouth, what goes in your mouth. That when you choose to say, I want to guard my relationship with God, I wanna guard my life so that I can be a vessel for the Holy Spirit to flow through. You watch, you'll see him move. You'll see him do miracles through you. But you're understanding that in this celebrity culture, it's not so you can be positioned to be seen. It's you're yielded to the cross 
so that he can be seen. It doesn't become about you anymore. It becomes all about him. And so this morning, I wanna pray for you. And I just wanna ask for the grace to be fully sold out, to be fully abandoned to his call. I'm telling you, it might not be easy. It's not gonna be easy, but it's worth it. And it pleases and it touches the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you that you wanna revive us That revival is simply a return to obedience. It isn't complicated. It isn't something that has to be worked up. It's simply, I choose to return to the obedience of God's word and to the obedience of the Holy Spirit. Right now, we choose to do that very thing. We say, Holy Spirit, reveal your word to us. Reveal the cross to us. Anything in our lives that needs to be crucified, any insecurities, any doubt, any fear, any unbelief, any pain, God, we thank you that it's at the cross that you take our pain and you exchange it for power. You take our confusion and you exchange it for direction. You take our sorrow and you exchange it for joy. Having a cross-centered life is the place where we become who you intended us to be. You transform us. But God, let us not be a church that is double-minded, who is one foot in, one foot out. God, we wanna be all in. The world needs us. The church needs a, a body of people that is sold out to the gospel. Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can do it. So right now, as we pray, as we examine, as we repent, God, we wanna make this confession that we've decided to follow Jesus. We love you, Lord. Right now, the Breezy is gonna lead us in a song of I have decided to follow Jesus. I want you just to take a moment and bow before the Lord. And anything, any works of the flesh that begins to come up, this is where the presence of God comes in your life. And you simply say, I give this to you. And as you give him that thing, I'm telling you, you're gonna pick up something that is life. You're gonna pick up the spirit of God And this is how you find freedom. This is where the bondage of sin loses its power. When you get real with yourself, you get real with God and you say, take it, take it from me. I'm tired of carrying this. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of of everyone thinking I have it all together. Take it and do the work in me. Get through the pride, get through the ego, get through my intellect. I just want you, God. And I lay this down because you're worth it. The cross is worth it. In Jesus' name. Turning back, my cross.
You know, at the end of the book of Revelation, it gives this list, this really these lists of sin that are damning to our soul, are damning to our lives. Things like fornication and all of the things we know that don't please the heart of God and separate us from God. One of the things that's always drawn my attention to that list as you read at the end of Revelation, it says that the coward will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And when I read that for the first time, I'm like, how have I never seen that? That don't allow me to ever be a coward. Don't ever allow me to shy away from the work of God, what he wants to do, what he wants to unleash in our lives. I'm telling you, if the enemy can't get sin in your life, if he can't get you to uh, you know, fall into temptation, what he'll do is to try to shut your mouth, to make you a coward, where when you're put to the test, when you're put where you have to stand for your faith, the enemy wants to get you to hunch over and to not really live the truth, but just go with the flow, go with the crowd. But I'm telling you, the world today doesn't need that type of believer, doesn't need the coward, but needs a church that will stand strong, that will stand firm. And again, through this message, I say these things because I love you dearly. And as I've shared before, is the role of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted, but to afflict the comfortable. That it can get dangerous when we get comfortable under the cross, but we should be afflicted in a way that causes us to be transformed. But as we've established, the Holy Spirit is that anesthesia, that medicine, where Jesus can go in, can cut off the works of the flesh, and fill us with his spirit. If you'd lift your hands right where you are, I just wanna pray for you. Father, we thank you that we've decided to follow Jesus. God, we are expectant that as we put ourselves under the cross, even as Jesus was, we can be tempted to just get away from it. 
I'm tired of it. I'm not seeing the results. I'm not seeing the growth. I'm not seeing the transformation. But God, we choose this morning to stay there just as you did because you were fulfilling your purpose. God, so is the same to unlock and unleash our purpose in this earth, to have the marking, the anointing of God. We have to stay under the cross. God, we boast in it as Paul did, that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the very power of God for those that are being saved. And this is a church that is being saved, that's being healed, that's being transformed. It may be messy. We, we may be at different levels of progress, but God, we thank you that we are moving in the right direction. And we thank you. You don't leave us where we've been. God, but you call us forward. You call us into who you are. God, we're expectant that as we get on the cross that you're gonna shine. People are gonna see you that before we're glorified, something has to be crucified. God, we allow that work to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, I wanna invite Pastor Joyce. She has really a story of faith, someone who took giving seriously in the past, and I didn't know all the details as you shared previously, but as you give, I want you to be encouraged by this story of faith of someone who gave into this building that we're in now and how God used it to accomplish his purpose. That was a wonderful message, and that's what our lives are all about. A long time ago, when we had just the part over here as our church, and God had given a vision to this house. And he spoke to me, and when he gives a vision, he also makes provision for it. There's always a way, because when you think about doing something like that, uh, starting a church or building onto it or whatever, there you think, oh my goodness, how in the world can I ever do that? But yet, he speaks to our heart, I'll make the way. So we ended up getting that over there. And we, through the years, it was about 10 years from the time that we were there, to, we got over here. And in that time, we saved because we'd been praying for a church and asking God to make the way for us. And so we had saved $75,000 toward the new sanctuary. And we kept praying, and yet God had not given us a release to go forward in it because of money and things that we needed and wanted. And there's so much that goes into uh, progressing and growing and doing as we're learning going over here and building another building. But while we were there, there was a, a lady that came to our church, and in that time, she had met someone, and they ended up getting married. And she loved our church. She had, God had touched her life there and done many beautiful things in her life. And yet he wanted to go over to Ohio to, uh, it was a bigger church over there. And he wanted, that's where he had been going. And of course he wanted her to go with him. So she came to me about it and I said, you need to go with him. God will make a way through it all and just trust him. Well, in the meantime, we kept moving and she kept, contacting me in different ways and 
All of a sudden, one day, I get a phone call, and um, she was backing out of her driveway, and a dump truck came down over the hill going pretty fast and hit her car and killed her instantly. And it was just heartbreaking to hear this because, you know, she's just a close friend as well, you know, as someone that sat under me and uh, during those years in church. And he called me and he said that she had died and would I come over to the hospital and be with them. He said, because she would want you here. And so I went over and talked and he ended up asking me to do her service and different things. And our hearts just went out to her and to the family. And all of a sudden one day after that, I get another call. And he said, Pastor Joyce, he said, she has left $25,000 in her will toward the church. She wanted to be a part of what God is doing there. And, you know, to see God do something like that, to touch her heart, that she gave that money, that after that, in prayer, God said, now move forward. And it was through that bit of giving from that one person, what she did in the kingdom of God at that time, souls have come to Christ, many children like young people here have grown up and gone on mission trips and done things, entered into the ministry and just has done many great things for God in their time. But that one gift, how much she did in the last for the kingdom of God was so beautiful. And I'll never, when Garrett uh, asked me, he said, share something that God has done down through the years. And I could tell you many stories, but that was something that really stood out to me to share with you today, that to realize that giving to me is a time of worship. I just give back a portion to what he's given to me. It's all his. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for him. But yet he asked us to give a portion back to the kingdom. That's the one way we can give into the kingdom of God and build to be able to touch the lives of others down through the years. And so that's always been the heart of this church. And then the school started all different kinds of things. And then God speaking that, um, and my grandson coming and being lead pastor now and his wife and all my grandchildren, Cole, uh, Clay, all of them, all six of them have their part in the kingdom of God. And I believe that God just will bless anything that you give toward him in a beautiful way. And as I see these things happen, I just want to encourage you that nothing you give into the kingdom, we're good stewards with every penny that has been brought into the kingdom of God. We're good stewards, I'll tell you, to where we're debt free. That's a good steward. It's the size of our church to be debt free. God has blessed this church and he's continuing to bless it. And now as Pastor Garrett steps out to build over here as God leads and as we, you know, follow what God's doing in that vision, you will be blessed beyond measure. I promise you that. And God is building and we're going forward. 
And someone spoke to me today that we've just begun to see all that down the road that God's going and has in store for us in the days ahead. And you will all be a part of that. I don't know if I'll see it all, but I thank God for the part that he's let me see. So realize that your giving will bless so many people in the kingdom of God. Amen. So you're going to go ahead and do it. Well, as the ushers come, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for that story of faith.